I bring you greetings today from the campus family at Cincinnati Christian University at Cincinnati, Ohio. Let me tell you what a joy it is every single time I come to this church. I seem to be making it here about every five, six years or so, and it has been wonderful to see. Uh, I remember coming when the church was running a couple of hundred and we were meeting in the uh, kind of the L-shaped auditorium there on the end of the building. And then I remember remember the last time I was here when I came and this new auditorium was open, although not quite this large. I think it was a little smaller at that point. And uh, just to see what Randy, the staff, the elders, ministry team leaders, ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit is doing here in this particular congregation. This is a wonderful thing. I thank you for your warmth also. Every time I come, this is a warm, loving church, and my wife and I are warmly received, and we thank you for that. I have to tell you today, just personal note, that I'd love to be with Randy and Sarah whenever I get the opportunity. I was a professor at Cincinnati back in the 80s when we were all there together, and Randy and Sarah came. Let me just tell you that from their earliest years on our campus, they were leaders and they were influencers, and they really lived the faith back in those days. There are some other things I would be glad to tell you right after church if you want to meet me down here. I've, I've got a couple of stories. No, it's not true. No, I do have, but I, I wouldn't tell you, you know, for sure. <clears throat> but uh, I love Randy and Sarah. They're just like members of our family. And whenever he calls and says, could you come by, it's always a great blessing for me to do that. Thank you for the invitation to be here with you today. In the life and teaching of Jesus, there are certain places that are really key concepts that Jesus lays out for our walk in our faith. Now, everything that Jesus said, every word is important and critical, but every now and then, even by his own statement, Jesus will say, you know, I'm going to get ready to lay out a concept here, and I don't want you to miss it. It's so important. Sermon on the Mount is a good example of that. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the light and salt passage in Matthew 5 is a good example of that. And we especially know when those times are coming, when Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say to you. You know, what he's saying there is this. Hey, I am getting ready to lay out a big one here, and I really want you to make sure that you get this. I really want to make sure you understand this. So in light of that, what we want to do today in our sermon time, is simply choose one of those stories from Jesus' life where he tries to teach a major, major lesson that we should weave through the fabric of our spirit and attempt to live out every single day. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like to ask you, if you would, to turn to John chapter 13, verses 5 through 20. 5 through 20. John chapter 13 and uh, let's, let's go ahead and just read 5 through 17. <clears throat> John chapter 13, 5 through 17. Apostle John is writing here, and in verse 13, chapter 5, John, uh, John writes this. It says, And he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him, and for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you would also follow, uh, that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sends him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Brothers and sisters, this is a huge lesson coming from the very heart of Jesus Christ himself to each one of us today. Now, before we can really understand the import of what actually is going on here, we have to go back about a week, and here's basically what is happening. Jesus is conducting here the last week of his public ministry leading up to the cross, and in that time, the mother of James and John arrives where Jesus and the disciples are, and a conversation takes place at that point, and here's what happened. James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, I have a request that I want to make of you. When you come into your kingdom, I would like for my sons to be on your right hand and on your left hand. You know, vice president and secretary of state in the brand new kingdom you're going to be ushering in. And Jesus said, you know, I really respect you and understand why you're asking that. I have to tell you that I can't do that, though. I I can't do that. Well, when this conversation is going on, All of the other ten apostles are around, and they are hearing what is happening here. So from that discussion spawned this whole culture among the disciples of basically saying this, hey, you know, among all twelve of us, who who really is the greatest? You know, well, this one over here said, you know, I really think I have an edge on that because, uh, because I was the very first apostle who was chosen. And Matthew said, well, you know, because of what I gave up, I would probably put myself right up there at the top uh, with everybody else. And so the apostles are fighting amongst one another about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine Jesus' frustration, you know, at this going on? And so Thursday night comes, they all go to the house where they're going to celebrate the Passover. And uh, culturally, here's what you always did. If you were in Jerusalem, if you were a Jew, you would go to the house of the host. You'd go inside. There would be a slave. There would be a house servant there at the door with a large bowl of water and with a couple of towels. And you, you would go into the house. And you just kind of kick your shoes off over in the corner, your sandals off. And then one by one, you would put your, feet, your foot in the basin and the slave <clears throat> would wash your feet. And then you would be free to go on and, and enter the house. Well, when they got to the house that night and the 13 of them went inside, for some reason the slave wasn't there. There was nobody to wash their feet. Well, again, in their culture, if that happened, 
what you would do is you would kind of stand around for a minute and then, you know, someone would just say, oh, well, here, go, come on, go ahead, just, you know, let, let's start through. And someone would just take it upon themselves and go ahead and do it for everyone else. Well, they came into the house that night. There was no slave to wash the feet of the guests and no one out of the twelve just knelt down and began volunteering to wash everybody else's feet. And, of course, we know why. Because they had just been arguing over and over again about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And if you're convinced you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, the last thing you want to do, hey, I'm working my way, my way up here, bud, you know. Uh, the last thing I'm going to do is kneel down and wash everybody's feet. We have no practice like this in our whole culture, you know what I mean? Uh, There's just nothing at all to compare to what was going on here in this situation. The only thing I can think of, follow me here, if you would, the only thing I can think of is if you go to someone's home on a Saturday night and a lot of people are coming in for dinner and the host and hostess are in getting the final things ready, you, you know what I mean when somebody, there's no one there, you don't know where to put the coats and so somebody just kind of says, here, well, here, here, just give me everybody's coats and I'll put them in on the bed. And somebody just starts kind of collecting the coats and then takes them in on the bed. That, that, that's the closest thing we have, you know, to that. There's nothing else that I, I can really think of. <clears throat> well, when that time came, <clears throat> no one knelt down. And they waited and Jesus finally just walked up the stairs uh, along with everybody else. Well, they got up there. They all reclined on their couches, which is how you would eat back in those days. And the meal was going along, and all of a sudden, somewhere in the midst of the meal, there is just a huge comma as Jesus gets up off of his couch, goes over to the corner, takes off his outer tunic, takes a big, uh, a big uh, pitcher of water and pours it into a basin, and then takes a towel, large towel, and wraps it around his waist, and he walks over to the edge of the table and he starts, starts washing the feet of the first disciple. Can you imagine the massive cloud of humility that must have been created there in that room that night? Can you imagine what that must, must have been like? I mean, total and complete silence. The only sound in that room was the tinkling of water Uh, spilling as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I mean, it is stone silent, stone silent. Now, I I would like for you to go back there with me for just a moment. Go back into that room with me. Think about this. How long, time-wise, would it have physically taken Jesus to wash the the feet of the disciples? Okay, Uh, let's, let's put it in these terms. Think with me for a minute. 24 feet... 120 toes, okay? And Jesus is washing everyone's feet. How long would that have taken? What, what, maybe a minute apiece, maybe? 45 seconds apiece? Well, what are we talking about here? 12 minutes, maybe 14 minutes, 10 minutes? Can you imagine what it must have been like to have laid on that, that couch <clears throat> watching the creator of the universe go around couch to couch and wash the feet of the 12 disciples. What, what must that have been like? What a powerful, you talk about a teachable moment. I mean, I mean, here is the poster child for a teachable moment in the lives of the disciples as Jesus is washing their feet. Now, it comes to Peter, of course, and, you know, Peter does his usual, and he says, Lord, <laughs> excuse me, 
I just want you to know you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, you know, a, a, a literal translation of what Jesus said here was, Peter, lay back and be quiet, will you? And l- l- let me just go ahead. And he says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no, no, uh, no part with me. And Peter says, oh, well, in that case, then, you know, wash me all over and shampoo my hair and just get me right in there. I mean, I'm, I'm ready, you know. <clears throat> so John says that Jesus finishes everything that he's doing goes back over, puts the, the basin back, the towel, and then it says he puts his tunic back on. And he goes over and he lays down on his couch. Moment of silence. Jesus says to the twelve, do you understand what I have just done for you? Do you understand? Those who are great out in the world, in business in politics, whatever it is. Their idea is this. If you want to be great in the world, you have everyone serve you. But I am telling you this. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you will learn the great, great spiritual secret of learning to serve everyone else. You will be servant, not served. Jesus says, as a matter of fact, you know what? I've just given you an example. This is what it looks like. This is how it looks if if you want a really good mental picture. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you today that one of the greatest points of our lives in Jesus Christ, the greatest points of our spiritual journey is when we grow in our faith to understand this incredible teaching of Jesus when he says, you know, you will be conditioned all of your life in, in almost every culture to understand this point. Greatness is being served. Greatness is not serving. Weak people do that. Second type people do that. Not, not, not leaders, not first type people. Those people are served. They don't serve. And Jesus says, I am telling you that if you want to understand how I think and you want to understand God's heart, here's what you will understand and internalize in your being. It's that greatness in life comes from serving people around you, from you being a servant. And brothers and sisters, that's my sermon today. That's it. That's what I wanted to come and share from you from my heart today. I know you know the story. I know you've heard it on many occasions, but, I, but could I just come today and remind you of this great, powerful lesson from Jesus' life and ministry when he says, you know, in the world, greatness is that you are served in the kingdom. Greatness is when you are serving other people. Now, for the rest of my sermon today, what I would like to do is just divide this concept into two pieces. Piece number one is, what does this look like in a church Piece number two, what does this look like in my own personal life? Today, as I see First Service, who is here before you, and as I look over the auditorium today at the people who are here, I I say to myself, being in maybe 200 churches a year in terms of consulting work that I do, I say to myself, there is unbelievable potential here in Windsor Road Christian Church. Uh, I mean, just look at the people who are here. Uh, Look at the talent that's here. Look at the giftedness in this church. I'm just telling you that this church could do and will continue to do an amazing work for Jesus Christ here in this place. All of the potential to make that happen is true. 
I want you to continue to serve the way you have served, and I want you to look forward also to other opportunities and open doors for service. I would love to share with you about a congregation that I've gotten to know in Cincinnati, Ohio, and challenge you to think about, in addition to the good things you're doing now, to move in in the direction of this church. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, teaching at Atlanta Christian College. I also had planted a church there. The church had dramatically grown. I gave it to one of my former students because I had a day job, you know, and somebody needed to take the church to the next level. They asked me to stay on, though, as kind of an associate minister to train the elders, train the staff, and so forth. So so I, I did stay with them for seven years. We had deep roots in the school. We had really deep roots there in our congregation. When I received a call from President David Faust, at Cincinnati Christian University. And he called me and said, we're getting ready to open a brand new department in our graduate school, and would you be interested in coming and chairing that department? We prayed through the process, and a number of months later moved our furniture to Cincinnati, and I went ahead and went on staff uh, there with the school. One of the things that I've done in coming there is that I had heard about a church in Sharonville, which is just north of uh, Cincinnati on I-75. The name of the church is the Cincinnati Vineyard, the Cincinnati Vineyard. Cincinnati Vineyard was started about 35 years ago by a minister whose name was Steve Sogren. Steve was a little bit of a radical type guy, radical in his thinking, and what he did was he went to Cincinnati and just began saying to people, one of the things the church needs to do is to reach out to and love the community, love the community that they're in. And so the very first service of the Cincinnati Vineyard had seven people in the service. They met in Steve's living room. He based the entire growth of the church on what he called servant evangelism servant evangelism. And let me describe a little, a little of that for you today. They started by a dozen of them going to downtown Cincinnati on a Friday and Saturday night to some of the very worst parts of the whole downtown area. And they had boxes of cleaning things, and they would go into the bars and really sleazy places in downtown Cincinnati. They would find the manager and they would introduce themselves as being from the Cincinnati Vineyard, and they would ask permission to clean the restrooms of those establishments. And the managers, of course, thought these people were just absolutely whacked. You know? What, you're coming in here? Okay, so, so, so what, what, what's the catch? You know, there's something going on here. People don't come in here and want to clean the restrooms of places like this. Well, what's going on? And they said, you know what, th- this is love from the Springfield Vineyard, uh, from the Cincinnati Vineyard. We're here to do this. Well, it actually took them quite a bit the first several nights they went out to, allow, to be allowed to clean the restrooms, and they would go in and clean the restrooms spanking clean. You know, that church doing those types of things, I know that on one particular Sunday, Saturday afternoon, they gave away, with the permission of the Cincinnati Reds, by the way, pray for the Reds, will you? <laughs> with the permission of the Cincinnati Reds, gave a a free can of Coke to every person who came in that day, like 22,000 people. And they said it was so interesting. They would try to give the Coke away, and people couldn't take it. Uh, You know, they they said, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, so what's the catch? And they would say, no catch. This This is a gift of love from your friends at the Cincinnati Vineyard. 
And, and it just kept doing things like that over and over again. One of the neatest things uh, that's happened to me in being at the school is we, we have now established a great relationship with the Vineyard. Uh, we have two of our graduates on their staff. They're sending their staff to the school for seminary training, so we have a great link. Uh, one of their staff members a couple of months ago told me uh, that, that on Christmas Eve, they would always fill the church several times with people coming for Christmas Eve services. A number of years ago, some staff member came up with the idea that, you know what, instead of us all getting together on Christmas Eve and having a worship service, why don't we love the city? Why don't we love the city in some way? And so here's what they did. They put in an order with Krispy Kreme donuts for 2,500 dozen Krispy Kreme donuts to be picked up at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Okay, about 700 of their people met on Christmas Eve, and instead of having a worship service, and and let me say for sure, there's nothing wrong with having Christmas Eve services. That's one of my favorite nights of the whole year. But instead of doing that, the vineyard decided that they would get 2,500 dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, and they would go to the emergency room of every hospital in Cincinnati. They would go to every police department, every fire department. You know where else they went? They went to the water treatment plant because there are people working there on Christmas Eve at midnight, you know. Uh, they just fanned out all over the city, and they would stop in a quick trip, you know, at, at 10 o'clock at night and give the, the person behind the cash register a dozen donuts. And they would go to all those places, give people a dozen donuts, and they would say, you know what, all of us have the chance to be at home tonight with our families, and, and you have to work And this is a small way of us saying to you, thank you from the Cincinnati Vineyard for working on Christmas Eve so our families could be together. Now, let me tell you what that's resulted in. What that's resulted in is they went from seven people their first meeting to 7,000 at the end of their fourth year. Okay? Moved out of the living room, obviously, and have a beautiful new bedroom. Uh, bedroom. Beautiful new, <laughs> beautiful new worship building. <laughs> In the last 10 years, the Cincinnati Vineyard has planted single-handedly 24 congregations in the Cincinnati and northern Kentucky and Indiana area. 24 churches by themselves. Now, when they did that, their attendance went down to just a little under 5,000 in planting all those churches. Last Sunday, the vineyard had a little over 7,400 in worship, you know. Everybody in Cincinnati knows the Cincinnati Vineyard. They've had such a massive impact on the city of Cincinnati because of their love, because of their ministry. Just one more, one more quick one. Um, They've done this now for two years in a row, the Vineyard announced to the whole, the whole of Cincinnati that they wanted to have a ministry outreach to people who, who were Down syndrome people, who had very severe disabilities and personal struggles, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to sponsor a prom for people who had children in that situation. And so they ask all of the women of the Cincinnati Vineyard to donate their old prom dresses. They got 900 prom dresses. I would like to have seen that, really. 
in a room, you know, just 900 prom dresses. Then they said, you know, bring your, bring your daughters on this particular date, and we will have seamstresses here, and we will actually measure them right here, sew the dress, and you can take it home with you in preparation for the prom. They said that's Saturday night. Car after car after car kept pulling up, and they had people in tuxedos and beautiful dresses there waiting to usher these people out to get their, uh, their uh, wheelchair out of the trunk or out of the van and get them set up. Every person who came that night got a beautiful corsage and got a boutonniere. And that night they served a beautiful dinner to everybody who was there, they had a wonderful dance, gave away. They tried to make sure that everybody got a got a gift that night in a great big giveaway. And that night about, about midnight, uh, uh, they called it a night and everybody went home. Somebody, somebody called the church and said, now, wh- now how, what, is, what exactly does that cost? You know, because we need to bring a check. And they said, it doesn't cost anything. It's free. It's our gift of love to the city of Cincinnati. Brothers and sisters, those kinds of things are so close to the heart of Jesus. They really are. Jesus says, the world will tell you that greatness is being served. It's the person who opens the limo door for you to get in the limo. You know, that's greatness. But can today together... We internalize in our hearts and in our minds today this great teaching of Jesus when he says, please understand how God sees this. Please understand the whole idea of what I'm teaching you here by washing your feet. In the kingdom of God, greatness is when you love and serve other people, many times without asking for anything in return. Do you know who the Lord is calling us to serve and to love? He's calling us to do that with our spouses yeah, the people we live with who are the closest to our husbands and our wives, that we serve them in the name of Jesus. He's calling us to do that with our children, with our grandchildren. He's calling us to do that with neighbors who live on our cul-de-sac or who live on our block. He's calling us to do that with people who live on our dormitory floor, our residence hall floor. That we would be salt and light. We would be the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ in a dorm here at the university. You know, Jesus is calling us to have that influence and that effect on people around us. I know that in October, you're having a time here uh, at the church of servant evangelism, of giving, giving yourself away. And now I want us to shift gears and talk about that's how the church does it. Here's how we do it as individuals. We internalize the teaching of Jesus, and we understand that the church here has a real heart for reaching out in terms of serving the community. And Randy told me this morning that that is growing and growing more and more all of the time. I know that there is a day, is it the 17th and 18th of October, that will be here in the church. It's a day of service, and you you know what's going to happen. The Sunday morning services here are suspended for that one Sunday. We all come together, we gather together, and we literally go out into the highways and byways and we serve people during our worship hour. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you today. Don't, don't, be, don't judge me here too quickly, but I, I want to be honest with you. This idea really kind of came to the fore three or four years ago, and I have to tell you that the first time I read it, my knee-jerk reaction was, <laughs> you can't cancel church. You know, What? Like, there's not going to be a service here on Sunday? What is up with that? 
That's unbiblical. I don't have church. I mean, you know. Uh, let's find another day of the week and, and, and do those, those important things. You know, and then what I began to see is churches all over the country who once a year would suspend their Sunday morning services, and instead of people coming here for a worship service, they would come here with their hose and shovels and their cleaning products and so forth, and they would receive assignments, and they would fan out all over the city uh, to love people in the name of Jesus by serving them. And the responses that I started hearing from churches were so overwhelming in a positive manner about that happening. Now, I, I have to just be honest one more level here and tell you that, that if I would have been in a church the first time I heard about that idea, you know, I would have sat there in the crowd, I would have smiled, you know, maybe even gone, you know, sure, that sounds like a good idea to me, but I'm telling you, boy, down deep, I would have been going, you know what, if I don't show up, nobody will ever know. No kidding. Nobody will know I'm not there. I attend a church to 2,500. And nobody will know, and the day will just come and go. It'll be fine, you know, and then let them go ahead and do their, their uh, really far-out thing there that I don't agree with and, and, and so forth. You know, that's what I thought about three years ago. Let me tell you what I think this morning. One of the greatest opportunities in the life of this church this year is that weekend in October where you all will suspend worship services, gather here together, and in the, in the name of Jesus and in the love of Jesus, go out and love Champaign-Urbana in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, one of the greatest opportunities this church has all year will be that weekend. Today, I have to tell you that I really am just a guest here, you know, I've been invited to come, and I don't want to overstep my bounds, but could I do this? Could I ask you, as your older brother in Jesus Christ, could I ask you to be here that day, especially if you were planning on not being here? (laughs) You know, if you, like me, were saying, you know what, if I just don't show, nobody will really know. Can I just ask you, don't do that. Don't do that. Will you come? that weekend, and in the name of Jesus Christ, go out and love your community. And I'm telling you that one of my prayers is that there will literally be thousands of people all over the community of Champaign-Urbana who will feel and sense and know the love of Jesus Christ on that weekend because of the people here who wanted to get out of their comfort zone and take a risk and maybe do something they hadn't done before and are willing to lay it on the line for Christ. I am today asking you, even though I'm a guest, I am asking you to make that commitment to this church, to the lost, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to show up that day with a prayerful heart and a good attitude and invest yourself in this church and in the kingdom of God. I I know for a fact that the Lord, all through the years I have been close to Him, and all through the years that I have known Him, the Lord has led me from one point to another in terms of my growth. The Lord has taken me into one uncomfortable situation after another. And I think that's actually part of what the Lord promised in Philippians 1.6. There are some people who have commented about our service when it comes to the kingdom. Martin Luther said, A Christian man or woman is the most free, the Lord of all, and subject to none. 
He is also the most dutiful servant to all and subject to everyone. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote and said, He who labors as he prays lifts his heart to God with his hands. And then, of course, Albert Schweitzer, his famous comment, The only people who will really be happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Those who have sought and found how to serve. I want to share with you today, as we come down to the end of my message, one of my most uh, favorite readings from a very special devotional book by Lois Cheney. These readings are a little unusual. They're a little different. Lois Cheney writes this, this reading from her book, God is No Fool. And she writes and says, He saw people love each other. He saw friends love friends. He saw mothers love children. He saw husbands love wives. And he saw that all love made strenuous demands on the lovers. He saw love require sacrifice and self-denial. He saw love produce disappointment and pain and even death. And he decided that it cost too much. He decided not to diminish his life with love. He saw people strive for distant and hazy goals. He saw men strive for success. He saw women strive for high, high ideals. He saw young people strive for attainment, and he saw that the striving was mixed with disappointment. He saw, the, he saw strong men fail, maimed, and even killed. He saw it force people into pettiness, grasping at those things they both saw and didn't see. He saw that those who succeeded were sometimes those who had not earned the success. He decided that it cost too much. He decided not to soil his life with striving. He saw people serving others. He saw men give money to the poor and helpless. He saw whole groups work to build, cleanse, and heal others. And he saw that the more they served, the faster the need grew. He saw large portions of money freely given line already fat pockets. He saw new schools filled with uncaring teachers. He saw ungrateful receivers turn on their serving friends. And he decided that that cost too much. He decided not to spoil his life with serving. And when he died, he walked up to God and presented him with his life. Undiminished, unmarred, unspoiled. His life was clean from the filth of the world, and he presented his life proudly to the mighty God, saying... This is my life. And the mighty God said, What life? Brothers and sisters today, truly, I hope that you can understand and internalize the main message that the Lord is teaching us here. We know for a fact that Peter calls us to be like Jesus in as many ways as we possibly can. And today I simply wanted to select this one thin piece of the life of Jesus. You know, be able to magnify it for you and say, here is the main lesson Jesus is teaching us here. It's this, that if you want to follow his example and you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it means that you will live your life in every way possible serving other people in the name of Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is what I am calling you to do today.
Let's bow together in prayer. Holy Father, we want to thank you so much for the life and the example of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Father, we know that in his greatness, in his power, in his might, he came to communicate to us you and your thoughts and your teachings and what is important to you and what you have in your heart. Father, in the din of our normal week, in the hubbub, in the being late, in the rushing to and fro, would you help us, Father, to spend time with you and to remember this great, great lesson that Jesus asks us to make part of our lives. That greatness comes to us when we are willing to serve those around us. Father, I want to thank you for every man in this room today. I pray a special blessing and help and encouragement for the heart and life of every man in this church and every man in this service. Father, for every woman who is here today, I pray a special blessing to be in their lives. I pray that your love and encouragement and support and help would be with them as they grow to become beautiful women in Jesus Christ in every way possible. Father, we want to take a moment right now and pray for all of the people who will be served in that special weekend in October when this church leaves the building and goes into the community to carry love there. Father, for those people who don't even know it's coming at this point, we pray that your Spirit would already be working in their hearts and in their lives, preparing them to see and hear and get to know Jesus Christ. Thank you today, Father, for this portion of your Word and for our time here together. In the name of Jesus, we pray.